You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Now, will you pray with me? Now, Lord, may we hear what you want us to hear, that we may do what you want us to do, that we may be who you want us to be. In the name of Jesus who calls us, we pray. Amen. If you were here last week and you remember anything, I'm so proud. If you were here last week and you don't remember anything, I'm also proud that you're here. If you don't remember anything or if you weren't here, if you were not here, uh, we talked about the prophet Jeremiah. We talked about God asking Jeremiah to go to his nearest potter and observe, just simply watch what happened. He went, and God gave Jeremiah there the words to use next with the people of Jerusalem. Jeremiah observed that when the potter's clay was not taking the form that the potter wanted, that potter would start over using whatever was available to reshape and to remake that clay. We talked for a moment about this picture of the potter and the clay and how it reminded us of a few things. But the part that has stuck with me all week and that I've been struggling with and dealing with and working through a little bit is that God works with whatever we have available. Today we're going to look a little more into what that means, what we have available to be shaped by God. And I know that we heard the First Timothy passage in one of the translations but I hope you'll allow me to read from a different version. The message for me is a translation that helps make sense of some of what I read. And so I want to read this same passage from the message translation. Again, this is 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. I am so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb, you know, entrusting me with his ministry. The only credentials I brought to it were violence and witch hunts. And arrogance, but I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me, and all because of Jesus. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off, evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Deep honor and bright glory to the king of all time, one God, immortal, invisible, ever and always. Amen. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a story about availability and telling our stories I realize you may not know this about me, but I'm an introvert <laughs> to the nth degree. For me, this doesn't mean that I can't or shouldn't be around people. I can stand up in front of people and say things that make a little bit of sense every once in a while. It just means that when I'm done being around people, I need to recharge. Typically, I need to lay down in a dark room and nap for three to seven hours at any moment. Sunday afternoons are a godsend that way sometimes. And I recharge by being alone. 
That's just who I am. Some of you may be like me in that way. Others of you, when you need to recharge, you probably go find your favorite group of people to recharge with. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But some of you are like that, and I understand that completely. There isn't one of these that's better than the other, and it's taken me a very long time to even be able to say that. God called me to ministry when I was a junior in high school. I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that God was calling me, and I was going to wait and find out what that actually meant for my life at some point. My introvertedness began early, as it often does in folks. So I couldn't imagine a world in which God could actually use me. Someone who loved being with small groups of people and needed to recharge after being with them. I had been taught by example that extroverts were the ones God called. Those who are just all the way out there for the world to see. Those who speak without thinking first. If before I speak, I've heard it in my head 17 times. I don't understand the other way. This is the kind of example I had from a youth minister. I grew up going to four different high schools from ninth through 12th grade. And in one of those schools, we decided, in one of those cities, we decided it was time to get back into church. My parents did. And my youth minister was Joe Simpson. You most likely don't know Joe Simpson. But I bet you recognize his daughter, Jessica Simpson. And before you ask, yes, I babysat Jessica and her little sister, Ashley, when they were tiny, tiny, like four and eight maybe. So it's not tiny, tiny, but four and eight. And no, they would have no idea who I was now. So don't even ask. But trust me, Jessica came by her antics honestly. Her dad was a bit of a nutball and was all the way out there for everybody to see still is to some extent, but he had a knack for getting lots and lots of students to show up. I thought that's how I had to do it in order to be a minister of any kind, but that's not who I was. I wasn't available in that way for God. It's taken me a while to learn that the image of God in which I am created involves a place for introverts. I've also learned that I can uh, get away with a lot as an introvert. In our last Christmas party, pre-COVID, with our Sunday school class, we were exchanging white elephant gifts. You need to know that Brad and Linda Livingstone were part of our class, and so I had to do something with them, for sure. I had to do something that uh, made fun of them in some way. So I brought an ornament with a pic of Brad. You may remember Brad video, there was a video of Brad doing the uh, floss. He, he, this has been a, a while. So I printed that out, put it, on the, put it on an ornament, wrapped it up nice, and when that thing came out, they, they were, you know, they were amused. Uh, they were also a little bit perturbed. That's okay. I also printed out an 8 by 10 photo of Gary Patterson, the then former, uh, he's the former head football coach at TCU. Printed out this really nice glossy photo and had a friend at Baylor autograph it as Gary Patterson. <laughs> put these two presents in there, and it was just fun to watch them be opened and for them to try to figure out who gave it. They would never assume that the guy who sits in the back of the Sunday school class, who doesn't offer a whole lot, they would never assume that it was me. The next day at work, uh, Linda came in. I work at Baylor. The next day, Linda came into our area, 
and I asked her if she liked the ornament because they gave it to them. The, the person who opened it gave it to them. And she just looked at me and she said, I never would have thought you're fired. <laughs> uh, she's, she's a hoot that way. Um, but it was fun just to be part of this. You know, they were left to wonder, how could that guy do this? That's who I am. I'm, I'm a little bit in the back of everything, quiet until I need to speak. And God recognized that that was my availability. I brought my introvertedness into what God was doing in me, as well as a few other things. And God did work. Let's see again what Paul had available to God when he was called into service. If we look at this passage in 1 Timothy again, we'll see that Paul brought things like violence and witch hunts and arrogance to his ministry. If you don't remember, if you haven't looked at it in a while, Paul's story, we're going to just skip through this really quickly, but it can all be found in Acts and in a few of Paul's epistles in the New Testament. Originally from Tarsus in Asia Minor, Paul received some of his education at the feet of a highly respected rabbi in Jerusalem. Joining that Pharisaic movement, Paul set out to defend his ancestral familial traditions, which led to persecuting the early church, even to the point of being present and holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen, an early Christian. On the way to a town, a town called Damascus, where he wanted to arrest those who belonged to the way, those who called themselves Christians, he had a vision of Jesus Christ that changed his life and turned him into an apostle to the Gentiles. In our passage this morning, Paul's experience is understood as an act of God's mercy. Paul seems like one of those people that we would never think God could reach. We all have those people in our world. You know, when you get to heaven, you would be surprised that they're actually there kind of people. How in the world could God do anything with that guy? It reminds me of a quote of, uh, from Anne Lamott. You probably heard this before, but maybe not. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. The Gospels and the Epistles emphasize and repeat the truth that God's greatness is revealed in having mercy for people we would not think would or should receive that mercy. The minute we decide that some horrible sin is unforgivable, we challenge God to forgive it. And God answers our judgment with a promise of unexpected, unreasonable, and as the scripture says this morning, overflowing mercy. As I read this passage from 1 Timothy this week, I kept coming back to the fact that this is Paul telling his story to Timothy, reminding Timothy that if God can use him, the foremost of sinners, as our passage says, how much more could God use Timothy? And this is one of the reasons I'm convinced that we don't share our stories enough. Think about all the things that have led you to where you are. Who you are now. The decisions that you've made along the way. The good, the bad, and everything in between. When we keep our stories to ourselves, we are saying to the world that we want no part of it. We're saying that we don't want to connect. Because when you share your story, you create connections. 
Recent science suggests that when we listen to someone tell their story, our bodies produce the hormone oxytocin. This hormone is directly associated with feelings of care and connection and empathy. And just by listening to someone's story, that begins to develop. When we keep our stories to ourselves, we're admitting that we do not want any kind of connection. Sharing your story is an act of generosity. It's a way to allow others in. And I realize this sounds somewhat impossible for some of us. But I'm not necessarily talking about standing up in front of a group of people and sharing your story. Or am I? This is about allowing ourselves to be open to connections that are made through sharing and listening to each other's stories about who we are. Writer and creator Neil Gaiman says that as we consider sharing who we are with others, he says, make your art. Do the stuff that only you can do. The urge starting out is to copy. And that's not a bad thing. Most of us only find our own voices after we've sounded like a lot of other people. But the one thing that you have that nobody else has is you. Your voice, your mind, your story, your vision. So write and draw and build and play and dance and live as only you can. In other words, Neil Gaiman says, tell the story that only you can tell. I'm not sure how many of you know who Brendan Manning is. He's a bit of a hero for me. He was an ordained Franciscan priest and author who wrote one of my favorite books, The Ragamuffin Gospel. This book came after his extended battle with alcoholism. As each of us considers our stories, I'm led back to a rather lengthy quote from this book. Trust me, I tried to condense it. The words are just all needed. So you'll have to go with me. I need to hear these again. He writes in this book, again, the book's title is The Ragamuffin Gospel. When I get honest, he writes, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. As Thomas Merton put it, a saint is not someone who is good, but who experiences the goodness of God. And he continues, the gospel of grace nullifies our adulation of televangelists, charismatic superstars, and local church heroes. It obliterates the two-class citizenship theory operative in many American churches. For grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is gift. All that is good is ours, not by right, but by the sheer bounty of a gracious God. While there is much we may have earned, our degree and our salary, our home and garden, a miller light and a good night's sleep, 
All this is possible only because we've been given so much. Life itself, eyes to see and hands to touch, a mind to shape ideas, and a heart to beat with love. I promise we're almost at the end of his quote. We have been given God in our souls and Christ in our flesh. We have the power to believe where others deny, to hope where others despair, to love where others hurt. This and so much more is sheer gift. It's not reward for our faithfulness, our generous disposition, or our heroic life of prayer. Even our fidelity is a gift. St. Augustine says, if we but turn to God, that itself is a gift of God. And then he ends with this thought. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn or deserve it. There's a lot in those words. Manning died in 2013, and since then I try to read Ragamuffin at least once a year. I try to hurry up to that quote and then sit on that for a while and then hurry to the end each year. We like to peek behind the curtains, don't we, of those that we admire, to experience their highs and their lows. And Manning does this so brilliantly in his writing, even in this quote. This is why we need to tell our stories. In our passage this morning, Paul is telling his story to Timothy again as a reminder that things are not always perfect and God continues to work. So what do we do with this? We tell our story. We tell people we know who we are in a deeper sense. We tell people we don't know something about us, even if it's just our name. The connection is made when we just share our name. We answer the question, how has God's mercy shown itself in our lives? And if we do not feel it has, we say so. It's our story. A difficult part of my story that's not always easy to share is when we moved to Waco nearly five years ago. For our entire marriage, 20, at the time 23 years, 24 years, Jill and I had moved based on churches calling me to be a minister at their church. On the coast of Texas, in central Texas, in Houston, and finally in Norman, Oklahoma, where we were for 10 years. For 25 years, we would move. I would start my new position, and Jill would find her way to something that fit her eventually. In 2017, it was clear to us that we needed to get out of Norman after those 10 years. So we each began a search. It was a bit of a race. Who could find something faster? Jill found a position first at Baylor, so we got to move based on her job, not mine. It was incredibly fun to watch her step into what God had called her to do, to come along for that ride. In the meantime, I had nothing. No jobs whatsoever. Had interviewed at a few places, but nothing fit. You know when you're in an interview and two or three minutes in, you know, mm, this isn't it. I've had a few of those. Had a few of those also where we got done and thought, we are best friends. I'm going to work for this place forever. It didn't work out either. I was the drop-off and pick-up every day for our high school freshman. I was applying to anything and everything that resembled my skill set. 
Now you may ask, what does uh, 25 years of ministry get you as a skill set? <laughs> There's a lot. You just have to dig. <laughs> For six months, I drifted into unknown territory of depression and a level of anxiety that was not healthy. I began to see a therapist and was prescribed medication just so that I could begin to see clearly again. There were nights when I'd lay down in the bed with tears welling up, wondering why God had forgotten me. Then, beginning to wonder if God even cared at all. And at some point, I remembered, and I can't put my finger on exactly when this happened, I remembered that God had called me. But that didn't necessarily mean to a church. I came to understand. After six months of nothing, I finally landed a position at Baylor in HR, working with systems and processes and data, you know, things that all pastor types learn as they're going through seminary. Very different than church work in some respects. However, still using a lot of the same skills that I had honed in all those years of ministry. It wasn't too long till they started calling me the HR chaplain. Now, I didn't go in telling anybody that I was a pastor type, but I didn't want them to be surprised when they found out either. So I behaved myself for the most part. My prayer through all of these, this time was, God, this is what I have available. Please use it. Even in the midst of just thinking God had left me out in the wind. That was my prayer. And so this morning, we've gone from babysitting Jessica and Ashley Simpson while I was in high school to a call to a ministry, to a doubt that God even cared about me, to a different kind of call. You now know more about me than some of my dearest friends, and isn't that just a little bit sad, <laughs> slash funny, slash I need to do something about that. Just like Paul in our passage from 1 Timothy, I hope that we can each reach a point of gratefulness by thinking through and sharing our stories. When Paul writes in verse 17, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God, for our story. Help us realize how important it is that we share it so that others may see your mercy and your grace lived out. And as we go from this place, may we do what you want us to do and be who you want us to be. In the name of Jesus who calls us, we pray, and we all say together, amen, amen. Now please join me in the discipline of silence, listening for the Holy Spirit to point out to us how we are to go from this place. Join me now.